This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions' three-part miniseries, Devout and Out. The show follows three LGBTQ individuals who have chosen to become or remain leaders in their respective churches. I've watched through this series twice, and it is easily one of the best series I've seen all year. It's smart, thought-provoking, conversation-launching, funny, heartwarming, and is going to show you a side of Canada you have never seen before. You can watch Devout and Out in Canada on the CBC Gem app or elsewhere in the world on YouTube. Enjoy. After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton, and this week I have two shorter interviews about more TIFF 2019 films. First up is Christopher Ochter and his beautiful short, Now is the Time. Combining elements of animation, archival footage, and new interviews, the film is a continuation and a reinvention of a previous NFB documentary film from the 70s called This is the Time, about the creation and raising of a totem pole in a Haida Gwaii community for the first time in decades. Also, I recommend you check out his gorgeous animation, Mountain of Sagna, as well. After the commercial break, I get the chance to talk to the legendary Alanis Obamsuin about her 53rd documentary, Jordan River Anderson, The Messenger, which details the resonance of the short life of Jordan, who had a rare muscle disorder. Jordan was caught in between the federal and provincial government over who was responsible for his care, and he lived his life in the hospital, even though he was legally entitled to at-home care services. What ensues is a decade-long battle to ensure that all Canadian children receive the care they need and are entitled to. For both film showtimes, make sure you check out TIFF.net. And if you're listening to this episode from outside Toronto or in the future, make sure you follow the NFB on social media, at the NFB, and follow us on Twitter, at RCMPod, for when the films will be widely released. So without further ado, here's my chats with Christopher Ochter and Alanis Obamsawin. The five-year-old whom I live with, I showed him Mountain of uh, Sagna, and he was just over the moon about it. He's like, can we watch it again? You know, five-year-olds are like, again, again, and he was so on board. So how you're able to bring in the animation element, especially the 2D, and then the stop motion into your new feature, uh, which is also combining, you know, you've got old footage, new footage, new footage that has been recreated as old footage. How did you approach this through that visual element? Like, I explored all the archival footage I could. Seeing the, the abundance that we did have, I really wanted that to be, be the center stage. And then we had, I had found audio recordings as well, and they were so fascinating, so interesting, that I, again, I wanted those to be center stage as well. And it really started to become um, wanting to place the audience in that day and trying to place them on in in those grass fields around where the pole was going up so they could almost be like they were participants uh, with the pole raising, that rare event that hadn't happened in, in, in anybody that was there in, in their lifetime. So those, those really became the goals. And then the, um, the new footage was all there to help support that. And I guess also show the impact that that day had, like the art is still going on and um, having the animation was there to both 
the character, the height of spirit was to try to give help, give context. And I had, I was going to have her say so much. And then it all came down to that central idea of imagine a world without art, because there was that world without art that, that the Haidas were growing up in, in that time. And now imagine if you were the one to help bring it back, i.e. Robert helping to bring, bring it back by creating, carving this pole that just, I think, inspired so many, so many people. And it, it, it just triggered uh, uh, so many different aspects of our culture again. So, And it's just such an unbelievable building on the story because this is your, not even a response, like this is your reinvention of a story that you guys should have been telling in the first place based on the original <laughs> film. Uh, and having, I watched uh, the original film, this is the time and was just appalled at best like looking at it now we, this is a conversation I've actually been having with my friends a lot recently is about the idea of these well-intentioned things that were made in the past of people who are like yeah we're doing we think we're doing something well but really looking at it with fresh modern eyes you're like oh this is this is a straight-up atrocity and what sort of responsibility did you feel coming coming to this when you were asked to participate in it yeah I think the the, the responsibility um it felt great, like it felt like there was a some weight on the shoulders um, that you had to try to carry and, um, and and do good by. But those things, I guess, quickly kind of move move to the side as as you move in. And because I I was very excited about the the prospect of it, so I, I didn't really dwell too long on oh I you know I gotta do good by my people and and make sure I tell this right. It um, I very quickly jumped into to discovery mode and I was I was fascinated by so much by 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 learning so much and and hearing firsthand accounts of what happened to the totem pole because that was one of my big questions was well how did they disappear so quickly it wasn't until I I heard Joe Weir account his story that it really hit home what did happen to them because I was told that well they were chopped down and in some cases it was largely Haida's that did it and I was like that's I, I can't believe that. That's that's not true. Um, but when you hear it, I was sitting at the BC archives listening to it and just being floored and going, "This is this is absolutely amazing!" Like um, in terms of hearing that that account and hearing other stories that they were giving too. Like there was so much information I was finding. It was so hard to kind of pinpoint. Okay, what do I focus on? For I have 15 minutes to tell this story. What can I fit in? And there were a lot of interesting things that I ended up leaving out. But in the end, it was okay because I needed to keep the audience engaged so that they would hear the story and it wouldn't just brush over them as in the first film, the, this was the time. That, that one, when I first watched it, so much of the information that the, they were trying to give me just kind of went straight through and I was like, I ended up concentrating because they were the, a lot of the information they were trying to tell through poetry, and it was this the, this romanticization of I guess Haida Haida culture and 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 this this vanishing Indian, and I I missed the information they were giving because I, I yeah like uh, when I finished watching it as well I was like well this that film didn't say anything like I didn't really pull anything from it other than some of the beautiful imagery that was in it. And and that's the one thing that really impressed me was just how how great in terms of uh, filmography and 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 the footage that they did capture like they were pros back then at, at capturing and they you know the, 
the the shot where the guys um on a bicycle filming filming the totem pole on the piece of wood like that stuff was just like guys I just ate that stuff up it was so it was one of the very interesting things about just making things happen so there was some sense I don't think they maybe you know they missed the mark on telling the story but uh they did do some great stuff in in terms of capturing that moment in time so that 50 years ago I can someone like me can step in and then um, learn about that that time in history and also recreate it. There was an Indian film crew that the NFB was training and, and they were there and that's where Barbara Wilson kind of uh, came in and really brought the people there. And so there, there's some some really big moments and, and different things that triggered to get everybody there so that I could recreate this film today. Well, there's such a, a call and response element to your film and then the first film. Um, and one of the moments that I think broke me the most, because I watched them both back to back and then back to back again, just to be, you know, listen to the echo chamber. And the big one was there's a line that the very white narrator says in the original, which is, imagine how the Indians felt, how to seeing everything destroyed. And at no point do they ask them. And then we go to your film and you hear Robert Davidson talking about people who were just like, why are you trying to bring this back? What is the point? And he said, and I cried for that. And I just, I, I lost it just to hear those two things together and just how effective the destruction of that culture had been internally and just ate it away like a cancer. And then it's coming back and you're seeing this full rebirth and watching the two of them and this echo of hope that your ha yours has versus the just like downtrodden, everything's destroyed of the, of the first film is really poignant. Yeah. And that was a real sign of, of, of the times. And, um, and just how beaten down, I guess, some like the, the the culture and some of the people had had become in terms of it was it was painful, and, and the idea of some of them the elders asking, you know, why you want to bring these old things back is because it was there was so much pain there, and they didn't want to re relive it all uh, or like bringing it back up, like all, all this 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 pain. Uh, one of the one of the great uh, audio clips that I I think that that that's included in the film that, that I think is, is really telling as well is when Barbara Wilson from, she was like 21 at the time and the recording of her, like, I just like, this is one of my, my, my proudest moments seeing the totem pole come up, but I don't know if it's going to be enough, you know, we're grasping at straws. It's the idea that even though we, they, they had a totem pole raised in a potlatch and these are rare events first ones in, in a century, yet she thinks that that's going to be the last time she's going to see that, then, and it's not coming back. That shows the mentality of the day, how people were thinking that it was something that was disappearing. They didn't know what they could do to, to bring our culture back. That was a telling moment anyways, and that, those are one of the things I wanted to to get in there in, in the film. We talked a little bit about the way you designed it and pulled all the archi archival footage. You've even designed it in a way where it's almost mimicking that old school uh, NFB sort of film. I really love that you've got the maps and the imagery and even the font usage is fantastic. And then you, you play it off of the new reality and what it actually looks like. And that's just that's just amazing. Like, at what point did you decide you wanted to have that sort of vintage feel? Yeah, I love that you picked that up and, and that, that, uh, that yeah, that you, you, you noticed that because, yeah, I just fell in love with that, that, that style, that time period, I guess, and, and how, they, how they made films in, in terms of the, 
the look of them, the, you know, like the, like like you said, the old map, and and even the music. I wanted the music to. Eldon Rathburn was a. He created a lot of the composer. He created a lot of music for for the NFB, and and he had an amazing career. There's so many songs and the NFB archives. They um they put a whole playlist together of, of Eldon Rathburn music for me to listen to, and I just such a big fan of his work, and and I really wanted his his music included it was the, it was again that style it, it, it brought back that style because there was so much archival footage i wanted everything to to be married together and feel like it all fit so i think that's why i i went in that direction i love the way you open this film talking about uh, the interview with robert davidson where he's talking about his own naivete as he was beginning to approach this and and then you sort of end with the same thing being like i thought i was going to teach the older people something and they taught me something uh go see this movie guys i'm not giving away spoilers it's just great <laughs> um but uh something i think was really interesting is this idea that we need to be seeing more indigenous people tell their own stories and we're getting such a great platform for it at tiff this year i mean uh, alanisa bombswin's got something zachary Canuck has a new one. Jeff Barnaby's got a new one. You're in. What does it mean for young Indigenous people to get to see their stories told, to get to see this kind of representation? And how does it inspire them? And how does it inspire you? Yeah, well, it's it's great to see the, um, the voices that we're having a stage such as TIFF to be able to um, present our films. I think that's really amazing and a, really a great step. And yeah, because I think it is important that 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 Indigenous people and the different um, nations across Canada, U.S. have a chance to tell their story from their own perspective, their own eyes. And a lot of our cultures, they're they're immersed in art, so the so the, and it's a huge part of the culture. So it's it's a natural state for us to also use film to. It's a natural. It's a natural extension for us to tell our stories through film, and um, so it's great to see that that so many of them are, are starting to be recognized and, yeah, um, in, enjoyed. Yeah. This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions. For over 15 years, the team at Archipelago have been making groundbreaking and award-winning films, television, and corporate video for brands like Google, Netflix, Etsy, Time Magazine and the University of Toronto. Visit archipelagoproductions.ca to find out how they can help you elevate and execute your next video project. You've been creating films since the 60s, and roughly you've been making them at a rate of one a year. So that's about 50 films, 50 years. And in the world of documentary... That's insane. It's it's really not easy to produce that way, as I'm sure you know. Uh, how do you decide what projects you want to take on, and what's your process once you've you've really dug into something? Well, you know, I'm a documentarian, so I I listen and I I know what's going on. And uh, if I decide to do uh, a story on a particular subject, if it's not uh, guerrilla shooting, like you have to shoot as it happens, I usually go before to the community and uh, listen to whoever is going to be in the uh, film at the end. I just do sound at first so that I can understand uh, what the story is and uh, make sure that the person feels comfortable. And I don't start shooting until I know until I feel I think I understand and I know what the story is. Do you find there's an intimidation with cameras, like people almost feel like they're being watched as opposed to they can sort of forget that there's a sound recording device in the room? Yes, definitely. Not only that, uh, often it's very intimidating to 
for anyone to just come to a community and decide, uh, oh, well, I'm going to start filming right now. I think it's very rude. I, I, I can't do that. And uh, I make sure that when I first uh, begin to do sound that I have very professional uh, equipment so that later on, when you start filming, once the audience is aware on who is talking and what the subject is, I can always go back to the first recordings I did because it's never the same after. When people feel at ease and uh, they're not being watched by three, four people, and they're very different. So that sound is very sacred to me, very special. So I always go back to it. Then I find the images that uh, the person is talking about. It makes for a very uh, natural um, storytelling and with a lot of feelings. And this is how I work. Well, you have such a, a beautiful connection to the people who are in the stories, and you can really tell there's such an incredible intimacy. And, uh, and of course, Jordan River Anderson, it's about a little boy named Jordan. And um, and I know you've talked about how doing films about children is a priority for you. Uh, and yes. you're, it seems like this one sort of building on the concepts from the previous film, uh, we can't make the same mistake twice. And even though it's about this little boy and about his family and about these people in these, in these communities and their children, it's this bigger political issue. And how do you feel figure out where the story begins about the big picture and the big political issue and then connect to the human element and make sure that we're really getting that connection. Yes, it's important. And in this case, uh, as you can see, we've covered everything in what happened in the courthouse. And uh, this is why it's very important to know exactly how how it's being done, who's fighting, who's the lawyers, what uh, the government, uh, the people, and to understand all that. And then it's very important to go back to the people so that, that are concerned in this case is unfortunately this little boy passed away. But uh, he left such a legacy, it's just incredible because under his name now we have thousands of people that are getting help. The, the wonderful thing that I'm so happy about is that finally the uh, children won and they do uh, get help now like never before. We have to make sure that it continues. It's uh, it went from zero to uh, in the film by when we were locking the film, my phone, and uh, I got in touch with the people at Indian Affairs to find out how far they were in, in terms of uh, help that they have given, and they were up to 216,000 help. Oh, wow. Which means that's from zero. Can you imagine? Yeah. It's really something to celebrate. And finally, because in 2016, the tribunal had made it their decision that there was uh, discrimination towards uh, indigenous children, nothing was happening. It, it only started in 2017 that there was big changes. I really believe that uh, the influence for the change has come from the strength of many of our people who work in government agencies, also from uh, AFN. Assembly of First Nation and also uh, Cindy Blackstock's foundation. It's been a long battle, but uh, never allowing it to, to go to sleep, which, which really has made the change. And as you can see in the film at the end, uh, even in the courtroom, the feeling was different. And you know, I've been covering this since 2011. And uh, I just, it just made me feel it's more profound than hope. To think that in, in a government agency, such as Indian Affairs and the federal government, uh, that there is possibility 
that there are people there that are they have a good heart and and want to see justice and to see people finally working together and making it happen is just so important and i i felt that it's more than hope it's it's almost like it's a revelation yeah it's it's taking everything up to the next level and seeing that progress is possible so you have this fantastic interview with uh, jesse went for the tiff in conversation series which is on youtube and in that talk you talked about the lessons you learned from childhood bullying where you reacted physically to the bullies and you fought them off with your back literally against a wall and and in all the fights you've taken on, and there have been many of them, uh, what have you now found to be the most powerful weapon? I think uh, it's it's when you believe. If you have a, a reason in life, this is for everyone in the world. If, if you see that there is injustice, especially concerning children, I think it's a real crime to badly treat children. It doesn't matter who they are and where they come from. And uh, I can't stand that. I think if you fight for a change or you want to see justice it's obviously easy that after a period of time you get tired and you see you're getting nowhere and you give up but you must never never give up nobody is going to tell me that something is impossible i think everything is possible you got to work hard you got to believe in it you have to be honest and it has to be to do with rights and justice i'm sorry you know, I'd die for it. And I think that anybody who, who feels that strongly about something in their life that is not right, you just go and fight for the change and believe in it and don't let anybody stop you. And it's going to change. And you found this way, uh, I mean, you do this in uh, Jordan River Anderson with your own narration, and you narrate several of your films. When you truly feel strongly about something, is that when you choose to narrate it and use your own voice, or what's what's the choice there? Uh, well, it's, I think that more, in, especially in the documentary world, it's hard to, to get everything that is important to tell in an interesting way. You, you you document, you interview people, and there's a lot of wonderful things that happen with a lot of feelings. But there's also information that can be boring, to, uh, but if you don't know it, it's not the same. Like, you have to know the law. You have to really understand how people are tricked or what the government is doing. All the parties have to be identified and understood. So this is why, for me, a narration is the best. It's helping people, yeah, guide them along, especially when you are dealing with these intricate things like the law. There's so many decades of injustices and stories and even cultural aspects that a wider audience may not understand. I mean, your films are screened globally. Um, what are the biggest concepts you think people should understand when approaching your films? Well, first of all, as I said before, that uh, you have to keep fighting. And as I said before, Everything is possible. The worst scenario, even if people are against the rights of, in this case, children, and to think that they live and that they have power and they're using their power to to stop children from... It's not a privilege. It's a right to be treated properly. It doesn't matter who you are or what nation you are. So it's it's always amazing to me and shocking when I see people who have the power to give or to make a change and make children, people, good about themselves, not trying to make them invisible. I find that very, very difficult. And I think in every institution or in every, even whether it's public or uh, uh, private, uh, it all depends on the root of um, 
the way they run their business or the way that uh, how you believe who is in charge how much care do you have for the people real caring how much love do you have for children what would you not do for a child why is it that if you have the power to make uh, rules that all children will be equal will be served properly will be made to feel that it's okay no matter who you are you love them and you want life to be better for them for all children why is it that people who have the power they can say yes or no that they say no for many generation and make life miserable for people how can you use your power that way it's disgusting and uh, this is what i fight against i think um, to have the power to do something good for anybody is so beautiful like you know like this decision here at the end you, you, for months for years now i i sat in the courtroom hearing people that are uh, maltreating our people disrespecting them in the 60s i sat in court many many days and i watched our people standing there being accused of this and that guilty 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 a fine you go to jail and no voice and it was very heavy to see this is something i never got over and now this time in the year that we are now 2019 i've been watching in court our people coming in and out at least being respected and being heard and that to me is a gift i'm so happy that i've lived this long to see the difference and to see now that our children are have won their case and they're going to be treated differently but there's a continuity if a child is uh, is is born with special needs it's not because he's going to turn 18 or 21 that uh, you you just say well then you're on your own we have to continue fighting to make sure that those children are helped all their lives the dial just doesn't suddenly turn off and go oh now they're now they're fine now they require yeah. no more no yeah. more care no 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 it was happening so far i say bravo to all the people that i saw for all these years to to have fought for this and to have won and to see people who were so condescending that have come through the court room and say things that uh, even giving them themselves awards for not for not helping for not using the money that was available for children can you just imagine that they had 11 million dollars that was put there to help people to jordan's principle they never spend one penny and the money was returned to i don't know treasury or whatever and not only that but to give an award because you were so good at it you, you never spend the money <laughs> meanwhile you've got thousands of children that are miserable that that, that uh, don't have a wheelchair if they need one that don't have the medication and all those doctors appointment is not obeyed what is that and now to see the difference this last year what i saw made me feel oh my god i uh, i wanted to hug them all because all of a sudden i i remember especially one day everybody you could feel it in the courtroom everybody want to see the change and do better so you know that's where we are it's it's great
Yeah. I mean, that's changing the world. That's changing everything. Yes. We're seeing so many incredible uh, opportunities now happening for Indigenous filmmakers to get to see their work on this global scale. And we're hearing these stories we've never been able to hear before. And I mean, you kind of crack that open for everybody, but we're finally seeing this flood. Um, I think of Jeff Barnaby, who's got Blood Quantum in TIFF this year. Uh, Tracy Deer, she has a new feature coming up through the CFC about the Oka crisis. I mean, that's just a few examples. Um, yeah. Is there anyone that you really feel people should see more of and hear more of their work that you're really enjoying that's coming up? Oh, it's so exciting. Everywhere I go, you know, people, young people, they all want to be making videos and film. It's There's a lot of interest and there's a lot of possibilities. It's it's change. There, you know, in every institution, there's a space for Indigenous people. So you're not so intimidated by going in there and feel shy or they're welcome and and the languages there's a lot of changes that is happening all over and there's lots of wonderful people and there's also uh, amanda strong who's doing an animation film on jordan also and she is really a great talent amongst our people and does beautiful work so there's a lot that jeff barnaby is incredible yeah it's really very uh, an exciting time mm-hmm. And especially having all these streaming platforms and new ways that people can find the medium and uh, even the NFB being able to bring things out and show them to people for free with context in a lot of cases, which you wouldn't normally have. Yes. I think we're going somewhere where we've never been before. There's so much encouragement and so much goodwill. And uh, I think Jordan River Anderson, the messenger, is a very good example of uh, the change and inside the government to have those good feelings it's just so encouraging in terms of what the possibilities are because there's good people everywhere and uh, i tell you i want to hug them all (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for amplifying the voices because so often now we're just hearing the negative the negative and those voices seem so loud that when you see messages of Uh, revelation it's just it clears your heart and it lets you keep doing the work yes Thank you so much, Alanis. I really appreciate your time, and the movie is beautiful. I can't wait for more people to see it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart, and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.